Well, I mean, because you know what I'd be, what I be into, the things I like to do and learn like about. Baking. Yeah, um, actually, I'm really good at baking, you know, uh, souffle, um, fire, couscous, that's not baking, but like, you know, you can add a little bit to that if you're making like a special cake, adds a little pizzazz to it, that's what you call it, pizzazz, pizzazz, babs, pizzazz, pizzazz, yep. Why are you laughing at my baking, man? It's, it's, it's uniquely me. I put my heart and my soul into what I bake. And when people taste it, they taste a little bit of my soul. So it tastes like a little bit of struggle. And like, they're like, do I keep working through this? Like, is, there, is it gonna get good at some point? But then like, if you chew long enough, eventually you get to the good part. And you know, that's how you bake with your heart. And so it's a couple experience. Welcome, listeners, to this episode of the Banquet Hall Podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's going to be a lot of that. <laughs> no, honestly, that's why I started laughing, because I was like, you know, I as I record podcasts, I start to envision in my head what the intro is going to sound like for the people that are tuning in. And so mm-hmm. as you started saying spazazz, 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 I'm like, this is exactly how the podcast is to start. <laughs> like, they seem to hear you talk about some spazazz. And then you went into the the little baking soliloquy, and that's the Kovu experience. I think that's the perfect way to welcome Kovu to the podcast. So before I officially welcome you to the podcast, I tell my listeners as he sips tea, um, I got to fake the influencer thing for like 30 seconds-ish. So welcome to the Banquet Hall podcast, the podcast designed for folks who are tired of looking at us. I can't even speak English today. We gotta cancel the podcast. Shut up. Pizazz. Y'all know what the banquet hall is. I'm looking at Spazaz. Well, this is the podcast for you. The banquet hall. I'm sorry. The banquet hall is for those looking for Spazaz, uh, but they're tired of looking for a seat at the table, is what I meant to say. So we decided to build our own banquet hall. Uh, you can follow the podcast at Banquet Hall Pod on IG, on Twitter, on TikTok, at Banquet Hall Pod on YouTube. Uh, if y'all listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, make sure you leave a five-star rating so the podcast can find other people. If you're watching on YouTube, why don't you smash that like button and click the bell to stay notified as Kovu demonstrates how to smash that like button. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Kovu, how are you doing today, my good man? Um, I'm good. Uh, I just won a Monopoly, so that was cool. Um, It's been a a long day, bro. I'm just kidding. It hasn't. It's actually been a very chill day. It's the first very chill day. So, so you won in Monopoly. When you play Monopoly, do you have a specific strategy that you're willing to share on record? Are there specific properties you always try to go for? Because I, I love Monopoly more than your average person. I feel like a lot of people think it's too long of a game, but I love the, I love the long term strategy. So, what's your Monopoly strategy? Um. Okay. I want to give that up. You don't got to give all the nuggets, but if you want to share okay. nuggets, um, I'm very, I'm, I am very much so a long term player. It is a long game from the first row. Um, I like, uh, I know the rules and stuff, and a lot of people don't know all the rules, but like, um, I like to leverage the rules to my favor. Um, make alliances, break alliances, that whole thing. I like it a lot because uh, I started playing Monopoly when I was little, and I was like. Man, I kind of like this. And I wanted to see how it related to real life. Mm. 
So that's why I like started getting into learning about finance and everything like that. But um, I think uh, my strategy would be this. You're not trying to run. He over here like, uh, yeah, the strategy. Uh, what do I want to uh, say? All right, here, I'll give one. I'll give, I'll give my old strategy that I, I mean, so um, I find value in things that most people find valueless or devalue. And so I bring that to Monopoly as well. Um, that first line is very important. A lot of people sleep on it. But um, we used to call them beer bottle properties because they were brown. <laughs> but those are very important properties, that whole little first line. I love getting a set of the Browns because people overshoot that go by one roll. Run me that three fifty real quick, right? Easy. It just it just keep taxing. You get two hundred, not give money. me that three fifty. Easy money, easy money in his hotels ASAP. It's like ASAP, it's all, but it's all fun and games until you pull, like I did this last hand, um, this last game. You pull the one where you got to pay for all the hotels and all the properties. I, did, I got it from both the community chest and the chance. And it was just like, oh, okay. And then um, I paid the most money to free parking from mm. everybody the entire game. I funded everybody through free parking. And I never got it. I got it one time at the end. And as soon as I got it, I had to give it away. <laughs> but it was all my money, like over the community. Like it was literally just my money. It was a lot. I, I think I played. I think I, I I got run around the board like five, six times, and never collected two hundred because it all went to income tax. Be taxing. I remember back in the day, like we didn't even feel like calculating what the ten percent was. We just paid the two hundred, just ignorant. It was like, yeah, let me just give two hundred dollars. I'm not about to calculate what ten percent. Oh, is. so we went on the board. You don't get to do that no more. It's just two hundred. Oh, for real? Dang, I'm old. Yeah, I don't like. You just tell me. You just tell me I'm old. I mean, basically, yeah, man, ancient out here. Dinosaur. Dinosaur. Rawr. <laughs> Not dinosaur. Rawr. Um, but, you know, that's why I like doing podcasts, because sometimes you tap into a podcast and you think the first 10 minutes are going to be about revolutionizing the world and really changing history. But you tune in and you get a quick Monopoly lesson, you get some spazzazz. I guess some Kovu baking lessons. So this is why people tune in for the Banquet Hall podcast. But uh, to kind of get to the story of Kovu, can it can be revolutionary, but let's save that for another episode. <laughs> I would like to prepare for that episode. I need to come with facts for that, because even with my Monopoly strategy, like I've watched like videos or seen like quick TikTok videos or whatever that show the statistical probability of landing on any given space. And there's certain yeah. spaces that wow. are so valuable just because of how often people land on those spaces, just based yeah. on how the dice rolls. So there's some yeah. underrated properties that more people should focus on buying just based like what? on what I gave a little bit. What's what you got? Just you're my guess. I know, but like come on, man. Equal. You don't believe in reciprocity? No. Crazy. Well, Lauren Hill wouldn't like you. Well, reciprocity in certain circumstances. Um, I Lauren Hill doesn't know I exist yet. She look for outside. Listening right now. No, you're not listening right now because we're on a podcast. Lauren's listening. <laughs> ah, gotcha. Thanks, Lauren. Um, so I always go for the orange properties. Like I think. The orange properties are so underappreciated. Right, we can stop talking. We can stop, we can stop talking. 
<laughs> so the first question I usually ask my guests is just to share about where you call home and what home has taught you. And I know that home is very important for you. So I'm very interested in what your answer is to that. You know, um, I very recently decided to call something home. Um, mm. Like my place, as you know, everybody named Mama has lived at the Oklahoma spot at some point in time, even when I haven't lived here. Um, I just kept it going so people can have somewhere to stay. Um, but now I'm turning it into like a home for while I'm out here. And that's why, like, you got to study now. Uh, you haven't been in a while, but like, if you come check it out, like, it looks, it looks like a fucking home now. But um, prior to that, I don't think I had what a concept of home was. I think home was wherever community was, I guess. But for me, even like being in a community actively was a new thing coming out here. Because mm. very much a, a lone wolf, um, very much a, um, uh, what is that? The, when you travel a lot, uh, the word I'm looking for is escaping me. Not a wanderer. A nomad. Uh, nomad, there we go. I don't know why just the M part was coming to me. I was like, there's letters before that. But all of a sudden, <laughs> I was going to say a Mo -Mo Mohammed. That's not it. <laughs> But yeah, very much know him at um, home. But now, I think home isn't a place. Mm. I think home is a concept. I think home is where you can center at. Home is where you can find support. Home is where you're comfortable. Home is um, ever-changing. I think home is a part of you. And as you change your definition of home, changes even if it doesn't change entirely it changes slightly you can always maneuver that to be your place of peace whether that's a physical place a mind state or anything like that so that's home for me and where do you feel like this definition or not even definition but perspective of the concept of home where do you think this originates from like i hear you talking about uh being a nomad but is it because of a certain reason why you were going place to place or what led you to just not really have like a stationary or a traditional I guess for lack of a better term definition of home um well probably because I grew up in a very I mean like I know it now but like when you're growing up in a place and it's like a bunch of stuff going on it's just normal to you mm -hmm. you don't see it as oh this is probably not normal or this is probably dramatic or this is um and it wasn't until I started getting more into psychology and stuff. I saw, like, when I was really, really young, um, we got moved. I, we went from one day being in our house to you live with your grandma now. Also, your mom's going. Wait, what? Yeah, she's going. Where is she? You're not an adult. Problem with that is I talk to y'all like I'm an adult, not in a slick way, but like um, I'm not dumb. You know what I mean? And then I get the answers to where she's at. Okay, well, there, there's my stability. Um, I want, I got, when we got, when we finally got back from her, we were in another place and we we're there for a little bit. And then um, my dad popped up out of nowhere and 
I convinced my mom to let me go see him when he kidnapped me. <laughs> That's my first time in California. Um, and then somehow my mom found me. I ended up back here a couple years at her spot, but I was like always outside. Like I took off the porch for young. So like the concept of being in the house and was just never there. And when like the group homes, I don't think I ever touched that. Some group home before. Um, possibly. Then, hmm? That said possibly, but the listeners don't know. Yeah, I was in a group home. Um, they went to um, the juvie and just like home, like an actual home or what that thing was. It was like, it's wherever I'm at. I make it. And going to all these different spaces, I make it. I like, I've never been to the same school consecutively for the same, like I've never been to the same school consecutively since second grade. Mm. Every year I was at another school. And so, like, that locking in thing, I was like, oh, okay. But I'm comfortable wherever I'm at. I'm like, I start to see things a little differently. But, um, yeah, so that's where that came from. And I think that's such an important thing to be able to articulate because I feel like when people have complicated relationships with whatever they might call home, whether that's a hometown, whether that's a house they grew up in, uh, community they come from I think that when those relationships start being complex and people lose that sense of home it can be hard to figure out what that home can look like for you and I feel like some people are still coming to grips with home not having to be where you were born it doesn't have to be what's on your birth certificate but it can be whatever home needs to be for you so I think that's great that you are able to just articulate that for yourself and that uh, re- you said recently you've been able to call uh, a place home or where you're at home. How recently I mean, are we talking? Uh, I don't know, a couple weeks. A couple uh, weeks. To where like, I'm like, you know what, maybe a month or so. Where I'm like, okay, this is no longer a house. This is my home. It's been a house for the longest. I've let everybody named Mama stay over here. For the longest, I don't do that no more. Um, the houses, you've seen the very different uh, personalities of this house, what it looks like, and this, that, the years. And I'm just like, it's because I never cared because I wasn't here. Or mm-hmm. I lived in my room. And then out here was for artists and for whoever needed somewhere to stay while they figured their life out. But essentially, um, this, essentially, I, t- I turned this place into a halfway house. Yeah. And so now that uh, I'm getting older, I'm like, well, well, I don't even notice I'm getting older. I just, that's not the space I'm in anymore. Well, I guess I got boundaries now. So I've turned this into a a home. I'm like, okay, when I walk in here, I don't want to walk in here and still be carrying everything or feel attention or feel everything that I feel throughout the day. So. And then it, it puts me in a place to when I decide where what I want to be my home base or the many places, because I got other places, the places I go, I start to make them all feel like home. So wherever I'm at, I'm like, all right, cool. That's my library, my little study and stuff. How many of those books have you read cover to cover? Um, you don't have to give an exact number. Oh, quite a few. Do you have a favorite back there or one that's most impactful besides the ones I wrote? Um, oh, you can see yours? No, I can't see mine. I'm just, I know they're up there though. Oh, um, 
Oh, full, full blooms right there. Um, the forest right there. Oh, all your shit actually. Um, probably Don Ruiz, the mastery of love. Mm. Uh, that one, and I would have to say, mm, I would tie that one with, jeez. No, I'll stick with that for right now. Okay. For the for the folks that are watching on Spotify or YouTube, I think that you can easily see that you actually read those books because it wasn't just like you were actually looking back and I could see you reflecting on books that you've read or where stuff is at. You know, some people got bookshelves, got 300 books on them. And it's like, yeah, I pick up one every now and then. Yeah. It's a little bit before it looks, but I know that you're a person who actually intentionally reads and intentionally takes in the meaning of words how to hide an empire this one is crazy this is the one i'm reading right now this one What's... and this one and the creature from jekyll island i would recommend that like that book to any and everybody it is prop the creature from jekyll island is probably the most important book never taught in school mm, the most it important is... book never taught in school wow and i mean like like I will like I like I just created a whole module to teach people around that, like to get people to understand. Like I will pay people to read that book. I would mm. I would pay people to listen to the audio on that book, because there's nothing more important than that understanding that. Right now, especially like for our generation and how it affects your generation behind and what's going on today and things like that. So, very important. The creature from your yeah. thought. You saying that is making me think that the bank hall needs a library. We need a library room in this virtual podcasting space so that people can have a book list. Um, because I think that one of the most powerful things is when somebody recommends a book to you, because I think that one, we live in a society and we have lived in a society where books have been a very elitist thing sometimes where it's like people like, Oh, you need to read, you need to read, you need to read, but we don't talk about how people can access literature mm -hmm. and of course there are libraries and there's book lending programs but even when a group has been so disenfranchised it's like okay i don't even know that i can go to the library and check this book out so i think when people invite other people to mm -hmm. read books and to recommend books it's a way to open doors to people it's like hey i know there's a lot of books out there and people always say oh you need to read you need to read here's a book that i have read that i think will be impactful for you to read so i think that's just so powerful to be able to suggest a book for people and also, like, everybody, you know what? Everybody doesn't like reading, you know? Yeah. That's cool. There's audio. There's, audio. there's an audio for that book, and there's a really good reader for it. And you can find it for now. You can find it on YouTube. They take it down a lot. Um, but it's a, it's a long one, but it is it is essential to understanding um, not only your finances, not only politics, but understanding um, how to get through the class ceiling um what is a glass ceiling you know what i mean it helps um yeah it's just a really good book it explains a lot it explains it's one of those things where you read it and you see oh okay you're starting to connect the dots to why we have social discourse mm -hmm. why you know so yeah why we have social discourse. I think that throughout this podcast, our listeners should be prepared for a lot of, not rhetorical questions, but a lot of big questions that we not going to have time to answer on this specific podcast episode. 
but I think that's what I appreciate being able to talk to you on this podcast about is because I think even the types of questions you allude to give so much food for thought for people that they don't even realize what's on the plate sometimes. Because like why social discourse happens, that's that's a big question with mm-hmm. big implications and big answers. Because I think especially when we look at propaganda, when we look at just the way marketing is disgusting nowadays, yeah. just how much stuff we're fed into, it's like, yeah, like. And I think it's important to keep yeah. in mind like those those certain things of when you ask those questions, the first place is to start within. Like, um, to remind myself, like I have, to, I have to do that constantly when I'm learning these things. Um, for one thing, I remind myself of the curse of knowledge. And I think mm-hmm. everyone should remind themselves of the curse of knowledge. You know that. That doesn't mean anybody else knows it. So you can't talk to someone as though they know it. And then also, I'm forever a student of life. I'm forever a student of life. So that means if I if I believe in something and I'm like, okay, I'm 10 toes down 100, this is it. If I'm going to be true to self, that means the moment I find something more truthful than what I, the thing I thought was the truth. And I can question it and do my due diligence and everything. But once I find that, I either have to about face and go the other way or live in falsehood. And so when I ask the questions like, okay, well, why do we have social discourse? Okay, what, what is my automatic answer to that? If I answer just like that, click. What all information am I excluding? Where did I get this information from? Mm-hmm. Am I only open to being right? Or am I open to finding out the answer? Whenever you ask any questions. Absolutely. The curse of knowledge. Uh, I want to backtrack a little bit now and just to kind of let listeners in behind the curtain to how you and I first crossed paths. Do you remember the first time we were in the room together and you met me? Um, at the stripper party, um, there were several little people, very gender fluid environment. And you were standing there and I was like, what's going on with this guy? Because I think at that time you were still wearing like lace front beards. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you grew out of that. But Mm -hmm. uh, I think for sure that uh, it was a very memorable time. So, yeah. So I think I'm going to say two things, but might be three, might be 17. I don't know. Uh, One everything that was just stated is a lie two alternative. alternative facts sure we could do alt facts hey i edit the podcast i don't care what you say <laughs> i'll take out that whole story if i want to i'm not but i have that power <laughs> two i do have on wax now though you yeah. saying that i grew out of wearing lace front beards which means that you acknowledge that i have a real beard that you're just jealous of Oh, no, I said you grew out of lace fronts beards. That doesn't mean that your beard is real. I mean, you still put some stuff on there. You know, that, that Bengay game is crazy. Well, not Bengay. What is it? Uh, I don't know what y'all call it. When y'all wear the little spray? Black ice? Is that what it is? Black oh, ice? You don't even know what she's talking about. Tell the real story how we met. <laughs> yeah. Um, bro, how did we meet? I think I know. I think I know the first time that we were in a... I know it wasn't Black Expression. Black Expression is not the first time I met you. No, absolutely not. Was it at UCSD? No, it was not. Where did we first meet at, bro? We first met at Lyrical Exchange. Lyrical Exchange? 
When's the last time you heard that? Dang, you just right. dug into the depths of my brain. But no, we um we met at Lyrical Exchange. We engaged there. Uh, we also chopped it up at Trilogy Sanctuary. Keep it. Yeah, yes. Trilogy was what came to mind for me, but I guess it was Lyrical, huh? Yeah, it was Lyrical and then Trilogy, just because I think that when we first met, Trilogy was still brand new or becoming. I think yeah. it was at Lyrical first. Um, That's when Rob yeah. was Mike in the world. Yeah, that is that is true. Um, but yeah, so you performed at Lyrical Exchange. I performed at Lyrical Exchange, and we did the things your poets do. It's like, wow, your words are cool. Your words yeah. are cool. Good job. My name's so and so. My jog me, jog me, jog my memory because I'm I'm trash right now. What? Um, oh, you did the designer piece. Oh yeah, I made that one up there. Yeah. I do not remember what I did. I have no clue. <laughs> so the like, design piece. It was uh, probably the introvert. It was probably the introvert. Probably. Probably. That would I would talk if I didn't know you and you did that one, I would probably come up and talk to you. So that that probably checks. Which out. is so anti the introvert poem. Why would you come I know, up and talk that's to like, me? That's like but that's who I am. <laughs> <laughs> just did this whole poem behind trying to it talk was so fire what were you talking about anyway yo <laughs> let me get in your space real quick um but funny story about the uh the, the timmy turner designer poem um because that's how uh uh that that is the why i got to black involved in black expression like that poem um i was more was that lyrical? I had just came from like a deployment. And so like I came back and went to the, uh, I was in the Marine Corps. I came back and went to a uh, lyrical exchange and I wasn't even gonna sign up, but the people behind me was being assholes and I was petty. So I was like, I'm gonna take more time. And so I decided to sign up. I didn't have nothing that I was gonna perform or anything. And the host at the time, um, it was talking about designer. And that's when that Timmy, Timmy, Timmy Turner, if you looking for a band. Yeah, that's when that came out and he did that and I was like, huh. So I just started writing in the crowd and um, I wrote a whole piece like the continuation of that from there. So that's where that one actually came from. And then um, after that, that's when um, Sakia and Ronnie had, uh, came to me. He was like, yeah, we're about to start uh, this thing called Black Expression and could be a part, which oddly enough, I went to Black Expression before it was called Black Expression. You talking about the plug? It's not even the was it the plug? But it had it was at it was at the uh, Haitian restaurant. Um, so no, it was a it was a precursor to that. Mm. Um, so Black Expression is actually um, a child of um, so you had Sakia, uh, Jeff, uh, Ronnie, and Ebony, and they had this teacher. Oh, and Sophie, Sophie. Um, they had a teacher named, a professor named Doc. And Doc had put together this thing around like Tupac or whatever. And they had it at the Haitian restaurant, Green Pleasures. And that was the first one. Yeah, I was there uh, for that. Yeah, that one. That was the, that's, that is what, that's how Black Expression was born. Right there from uh, that concept of, oh, yeah, on the, it being, and that night there was, you know what I mean? 
So that's um, how I got born. And then they came to me, was like, we're about to start this. And then I just, I went. And then um, after the first one, I was like, okay, I want to make sure that this stays around. Uh, so I sent Ronnie and Sakia some money to like, so they, they could buy the name and protect it and shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how I got. So, so let's rewind just slightly, just for the listeners who aren't hip. What well, is Black Expression? Um, that is a good question, man. I've been for the last six, seven years trying to define it. Um, what it well, does. you get to do that today, right? We're gonna see. Um, the sentence says it's a community business contribution community know. business contribution i guess that's what they're thing for that's, that's what we're <laughs> summarizing black expression as like that's what they said i disagree um what is black expression so well i mean there's an open mic that happens every friday um but it's not the open mic black expression is well my entire Thing about coming into it was to build a self-sustaining community, a community in which you could find anything that you needed from the from its members, whether that's financial advice, lawyers, uh, therapy, artists, musicians, photography, family, whatever, um, information, knowledge, and we've taken that and we've built a community with those tools. Um, Black expression. We've done like uh, I don't know if saying what the things it does kind of says what it is, but you know, like we did things like the eighty five hundred, like trying to get food to people that don't have it, places to live for people who don't have it, get people employment. Um, we worked a lot with the schools, high school, high schools, elementaries, colleges. There you go. That was a random one. Um, aerospace. These guys remember that <laughs> the um all the types of props place. yeah I mean I just I was about to hang these up honestly not randomly that stuff is there but yeah I don't know it's community. black expression is community black expression is community and in your opinion why is it important for a community to be self sustaining um because if it's not self sustaining it can be manipulated if it's not self sustaining it won't be um it won't stand the test of time mm-hmm. if it's not self-sustaining um it's vulnerable and when you have a community especially if it's a genuine community you want it to be able to protect itself want the community to be able to protect itself and i think it's statements like that that's why it's so important whenever you talk about black expression that you always like without fail like i think it might just be inherent in your brain as an automatic response talk about black expression is not just an open mic on fridays it's not just an open mic it's not just an open mic like that's something that i hear you emphasize time and time again when talking about black expression and express as an overall umbrella uh 
because I think that it's easy sometimes when you only see part of something to associate it with that only part that you see. So if I've only come to Black Expression on a Friday night or I only come on Friday nights and don't engage outside of that, I might see it as just a Friday open mic. But I think when you really start to invest into the community and when I say invest, I don't mean like monetarily supporting the community, but like emotionally, personally investing yourself into what this space of black expression is, that's when you start to understand what it's meant by it's not just it's not just the open mic. There's much more that happened. Even at just the open mic part of black expression, yeah. that's so much more than open mic. And I think that's where I want to take this conversation next because as we talked about how we cross paths and engaging with each other after performing pieces, uh, you talked about writing a piece in the back of an open mic. I think that I've had my share of pieces written like Write, write, write my name on the list and then I'm writing as I'm being inspired and yeah. them pieces them pieces be powerful and I think the question that I'm trying to work towards is why is an open mic such a sacred space just in general um it's the last bastion of freedom of expression mm-hmm. um that's it it's the last space where you can just be, if done correctly. And that's why I say it's a lot more than an open mic, because if you come to Black Expression more than once, you'd never say it was an open mic. Right. Um, Because what goes on in it, how we talk to each other, how we interact with each other, how we checking on each other, um, how we are learning with each other. Um, When we stop the shows, we have the conversations. And then hop right back into the shows. Um, Those things. So. And when you look back at the several years that Black Expression has been around, uh, is there a specific moment or series of moments that you feel truly define part of that essence of Black Expression, like that community power behind Black Expression? Are there any specific memories that stand out to you when you look back at the several years it's been in existence. Um, it's not uncommon for people to come up after the show and say, um, I was going to end my life, and the reason why I didn't is because I came here. Um, that has been one of the driving factors in why I refuse to let it uh, fade away, even when I don't have necessarily the full capacity. Um, because I understand how important this space is to people not to me like because lord knows i ain't made shit off of expression <laughs> but loss <laughs> but um it's what it provides for uh the people when they come there it's essentially it's like it's like a church that don't have vows or like it's like a church that doesn't have a religion mm-hmm. what the community is the religion that's exactly what it is. It's a church where the community is a religion. And it's a religion that's guided by the community. And since the community is the religion and it's self-defining, that means that it can change and grow as it needs to for wherever it falls short. Of. Love that. And I think in terms of kind of rounding out this conversation specifically about Black expression, where is it that you hope to see Black expression grow to? Like, I know there's not necessarily 
a definitive point that you're trying to reach, but what are some of the things that you hope to see from Black expression moving forward? It actually is a definitive point, um, or at least one of many. Um, so the reason why, when I say the reason why I came in and to it the way I have and done the things I have, when I say I'm to build a self-sustaining community is always been my goal. The things that are happening right now with our economy, with our with everything like this, all things I've ever you know you've talked to me, I've been privy to for some while, some while now that it's coming. And the goal was to build a community that could survive it. That's that's it. That's the big secret thing. Um what that looks like. I mean, um there's several different ways that that can manifest. Um, us having a building that's not that's not crazy. That's actually extremely doable. Um, having programs for the for the community to pick up or put down as they need, not crazy. It's extremely doable. It's something that is branching out. Um, Jazzy Wolf she has something that um, Denver called Wolf Wednesdays. I went out there. She said this this is direct um, derivative of Black expression. There's people that are going to other places. It's something that's happening down in um in uh Mexico. I haven't got a China a, a time, a chance to uh go down there and check it out. But exact derivative of it and but also unique to itself. And that's I think that's it. I want it to branch out and infect. It's like a parallel society. If you can't overthrow the society that's in that's oppressing and create a parallel one that can exist within it and independently you've obviously given quite a bit of thought to express as a brand is that too much to say um i guess yeah but like yeah i guess i, I guess i have given a lot of thought but i didn't think of it as a brand i know what you mean but i never really i didn't think of it as a brand, it's more like expression is more of an ideal. It's something that just is. And because it is an ideal, this is not something that can really be destroyed. And if I'm listening to this podcast and I'm trying to figure out how I can support Black expression and express, what would you tell me? Um, the best way to support Black expression is to come see what it's about. We don't even have to physically come see what it's about. Um, learn about it. Take what you need, leave what you don't. But what you take, use and share. Because whether you call it Black expression or not, whatever that is that was came from it and shared out is, is going to affect everybody positive, at least the people around you. Yeah, that influence just grows and grows. And I think when I think about quotes that we sometimes just not just throw out there, but quotes that come up that are important for our community, like lift as we climb or it takes a village, like those type of things are the ideals that I see when I think about Black expression in the community that has blossomed from blossomed from it. And I think that to close us out with this segment, one of the other things that I consistently hear you iterate and emphasize is that black expression is not Kovu. 
obviously mm. you have put a lot of blood sweat tears dollars time all of that into black expression and trying to build this self-sustaining community but you really always want to make sure that people know that this isn't this isn't kovu's llc project that's trying to make him get to the top this isn't something that you're trying to do because you want the fame and recognition why is it important for you for people to understand that this isn't just a you thing because then it's very important because i'm not community i'm a part of it i might have i might um at times i've so i believe every single person is a leader and a follower and i believe that is your ability to make those interchangeable or how good your ability is to make those interchangeable that decides whether and why your movement is worthwhile or worthless. And so essentially as a guide, like here are the guides of it, the lines of it, what makes this work, anybody can do it. It's a very decentralized power because then what if I'm not fucking perfect? You know what I mean? You're not. I know, crazy. You would think, no. <laughs> um, no, I wouldn't. Uh, no, you wouldn't, you know, because that fake beard gets in the way sometimes. <laughs> messes up your vision. But um, I would, I think it's important for people to see that because like as, as much as you, the people that have an affinity for me, humanize me as well. Pick me apart because if two things can exist at the same time that means that this thing that we are trying to accomplish doesn't need to be perfect it just needs to be it just needs to be open to constantly growing it needs to be open to constantly learning it needs to be open to um thriving which is living and living isn't always getting shit right it's very important that people don't tie it to me because um when I left, there's one time where I left where Black Expression almost didn't exist no more. And when I came back, I was like, okay, cool, it's right here. And people were like, oh, no, you need to be here. Boom, boom. I'm like, that didn't make me feel good. That didn't make me feel good at all. If this thing can't work without me, then it doesn't need to be. It's a failure. So it's very important that people understand that it's not me because... I am not your savior. <laughs> Hopefully, he is not your savior. He is not your savior. He is not your savior. You know what I mean? I'm I'm here with you. You know what I mean? Like you are your savior. We are your saviors. The community is because I need the community sometimes too. Shit, like if it's if it's me, I'm dead ass. Like because if it's me, no, I'm laughing because I know you're dead ass. I feel yeah. like. It's right, like, damn, right. nigga, it's, like, I, I can't have a community. I can't lean on the community. Right? <laughs> Shit, like, if the community, if it's if it's a me thing, then then that means that I always got you. And I've done that enough in my life. And that's not a badge of honor to me. I know where that gets you. I know how far I can get with that. Like, I, there's a lot of things I could be doing. But because you got it out the mud by yourself, that's stupid. If you, the only time... Like, that's not a badge of honor. Like, getting out the mud by yourself is not a badge of honor. That's a very traumatic lifestyle. And if you have to, only people who ever do that are the people who've had to. I've had to, and I wouldn't want that for anybody. It's not fun. 
So that's why it's important because people need to know that they can. Thank you for sharing that anecdote. Um, don't want you to share too many nuggets about Black Expression because I need people to check it out themselves. Uh, they can't get all the information from Black Expression on this one podcast episode. But let the folks know where they can find Express, Black Expression. How can they follow, support? Where Where is Black Expression at on the interwebs? On the interwebs? Uh, you go to blackexpression.org. Uh, I should probably be finished by the time this close. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, but it's still on there. It's just kind of quiet, but whatever. Uh, you can follow us on IG at X-P-R-E-S-S underscore I-T. That's at Express It with an underscore in it. Um, we we on TikTok until it's banned. We don't really put nothing on there. We'll fix that. But um, what is it? Facebooky? If I don't know. Your parents want to check it out. <laughs> so who else is on Facebook? Um, everywhere, man. Just search it. Sorry, black expression, B L A C K X P R E S S I O N. Yeah. You must have plugged black expression one too many times in your life. Cause she's like, man, everywhere, man. Like, just find it. No, bro. I'm actually the worst at plugging it. I'm the worst. Motherfuckers be like, what is black? Is- can I cuss on here? I already did, but. Yeah, you can cuss. I ain't hear you cuss. I have. You just don't pay attention. All right, fair. So, like, <laughs> I don't know. People ask me like, "What's black person? Tell person black I'm like, "Bro, I'm the worst person." Like, it just is. I don't know how to explain what it is because it does so much. I don't know. No, that's true. And I think when something means it's so much to you, it's Each one of these. Ah, <laughs> uh, you, you get on my nerves. Um, is that your victory dance for getting on my nerves? Do you have a Kyler get on? Is that like part of your routine? Like, we have I gotten on Kyler's nerves today? You got a little checkbox? Oh man, it's a whole thing. Like, I get to go to the spa. It's the, the benefits of getting on your nerves. It's like, man, I can't even, I can't cover that in this podcast. Just know it's part of my mental health. It's where it does amazing things for it. See, earlier in this podcast episode, Kovu mentioned that he wants people to pick him apart and point out his flaws. And so we get to the next segment of the podcast, which is my favorite called Point Out the Flaws. Why is Yay. your mental health? Why is your mental health positively impacted by decreasing mine? Let's talk about it right here, right now, in front of all oh, easy. 10 subscribers. Easy. 1000%. Um, so it's it's a very big part of uh my mental health and it has a positive effect uh, because where it sends you. You know, sometimes you're a negative Nancy. So like if I throw negative negativity at you, you know, uh, math says two negatives equal positive. So I'm actually working in your favor. I just want you to be happy, man. But two negatives only equal positive in certain circumstances. When you're multiplying them, yes. But if I were to add negative two to negative two, I just get negative four. Well, I'm multiplying negativity with uh, my personality. Hey, whatever makes it work, dog. Um, you're smiling. Works. I'm dead. You're not a mathematician, my good sir. I can count. I know you can count. That does not that does not make you a mathematician. Just because I can quote Fresh Prince of Bel Air in front of an audience doesn't make me a spoken word artist. That was actually funny. For those who do not know, he is talking about when we went to uh what's that place called? 
Queen uh, Bee. Yes. Queen Bee, it was a slam where a Caucasian uh, individual got up, did a poem, and in that poem, literally quoted the whole um, Fresh Prince uh, dad scene. Why don't you love me? But didn't do it as a quote, presented it as though it was their original written material. It was... Um, it was it was amazing life-changing moving it was very life-changing but it's also a very good example of what i love about community spaces when there's like a the underground tunnel of black people in those spaces mentally where it's like people just start looking around all the black people was like she quoted fresh fresh everybody else is like his heart tense and then all the white people tense Tins, tins. I was like, so I literally was sitting there. I was like, no, this is I've I've seen this episode a number of times. You are quoting the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and not even in one of those. Oh, let me quote a line and then let me apply this line to my life. It was like, no, I'm gonna get me a job without him. I'm gonna marry me a beautiful right. honey without him. <laughs> Ain't nothing can tell me, bro. I lived that episode. <laughs> Uh, but uh, let's go back to talking a little bit more about you specifically, the man, the myth, the legend, but most importantly, the artist, because although you don't always perform at an open mic, people need to know that you have bars, you have stories to tell, and you can deliver them sometimes in a very matter of fact way. You can deliver them in a very metaphoric way, depending on how you're feeling. But I think that your story is so layered and so interwoven with the different aspects of your life that you have just such powerful poems to share, or even like if you're not necessarily calling a poem, but even like a caption on Instagram that you crafted while you're doing yoga in the mountains and shit. Um, so when <laughs> I when I ask you the question, who are you as an artist? What comes to mind? So I have this. Um tattoo on my back that I got when I was like 14 and uh it wasn't at a tattoo shop um but it was one of the you know remember the laugh now cry later little mm-hmm. man so it was the cry one and then um it turned into cursive where it says life and that's because I used to think that life is pain so if you understood pain you understood life and I think my poetry is a living diary of that journey from what I think life is to what I'm understanding life is. And it's constantly changing, even to when I'm changing like things I've done. I'm like, well, damn, I thought I was writing this and I'm not. It's just very honest. My poem, my poetry is honest as fuck. It's just it's not pretty all the time. It's, it just is what it is. So maybe somebody can take that raw honesty and maybe the parts of themselves that they aren't honest with, they can go like, well, this applies. Or, or they can learn from something and be like, well, shit, okay. This thing I was thinking about going about it this way, well, maybe I don't go about it this way. Or maybe I do and it's not the information. You know what I mean? Um, my poetry is just very much, I don't know, it's me. Like my Instagram, like my Instagram is my diary. I'm pretty sure I don't use Instagram, right? I'll be just that be just like them captions be just shit that I would write in a journal. But I'm an open ass book, so I don't care if anybody sees it. And see, I wanna I wanna go further with that because 
that's the way I like using Instagram. I like the people who use Instagram that way. Like there's people who have, they post to post, they have the algorithm, right? Where they post at the prime time of the day. I like the poets where if I just click, they start on a random Tuesday. It's this deep ass six line poem <laughs> where it's just like, damn, you just put that on the internet and they just drop right, it. Like, sure. here you go. It's, this I'm just putting it on here for the hell of it. I like how it look on my story. What is life? <laughs> that's right. I feel it. No, what feel is it. life? And that's actually kind of parallel to what I wrote. So we are recording this on April 9th. As some of the listeners know, uh, April is National Poetry Month, home of the 30 for 30 challenge, writing one poem a day for 30 days. And on April 7th, I wrote this poem called Graffiti that I'm a ISO a bit and read on the podcast just because I feel like it's pertinent to what we're talking about now. And so it's called Graffiti. I post poems on timelines like graffiti on the blind sides of buildings. Just enough color to bring attention, artistically crafted words that might be hard to decipher as people click through at 65 stories per minute, but are art to those who take the time to think about how I got up here, when I had time to do it, and what it all even means. Because I really feel like poetry just be like graffiti sometimes on people's story. Cause I like people. People view the story, but I'm like, y'all ain't read it, right? But that, that, but that reminds me though, just like why, um, I remember distinctly this one time I was at, I was in a baccalaureate exchange once, and I heard this poet get up there and, and she said, "Because you do poetry at an open mic doesn't make you a poet." Mm. She was talking shit to somebody. I don't know who she was. She was sending shots to somebody. But the thing is, it was a it was definitely a sub to somebody, but it was a whole room full of people. And there was a whole list of people on there who wrote and you just define. And I was just like, oh. Like I, poetry, like it's it's literally self-expression. It is what it is. Like you can read it real quick or you can dive and get to know that person. It's about what you and getting to know somebody is really just getting to know you from a different lens. Mm-hmm. Like, what's going on? What makes this person think? What's this? And then as I look at that, I'm like, damn. Well, how do I feel about this? Well, damn, I'm learning a lot about myself from learning how you feel. How do I, I put myself in those shoes for however long it takes me to read this, or I don't, or I read it from my shoes, first person, second person, third person. And there's perspectives that come from that, that teach me things. And so I think in terms of like, for example, um, we're going to do a slam at the end of the month. Um, But I want to do it in the way to where the poetry is the point, not the points. Like, yeah, performative, do that, everything. But that's why I don't, you know, I don't like slamming. I'm good at it. I know how. I just, I don't personally like doing it because you're going to get on the stage, slit your wrist in front of a crowd, and then somebody's going to tell you, eh, you could have cut deeper. For folks who aren't tuned to the poetry community, slam poetry is a form of competitive poetry. Uh, can be individual or teams, but you have performers go up, uh, deliver a piece, I think, within like two and a half minutes, and then... Uh, five judges or number of judges in the audience give it a score zero to ten 
And I couldn't agree more with what you just said. It's like you get up there, you share this very vulnerable part of you. And someone's like, eh, 7.5, I ain't really feeling it. Then you're just supposed to walk on. And it's like, yeah, like, I mean, and like, okay, okay, you signed up for that. I get it. But like, where's the care for the art? Yeah. The care for the artist. Like, I've seen things where there's like prominent motherfuckers, like, you're doing a poem about some shit that has never happened to you. And it's not a persona piece. It's you're presenting this thing as if this has happened to you. And you're falsely connecting with people. And then when they come up to you, you have nothing. Or there's like, you know, there's there's people that are there. I just feel like the art is the point. The art is the point. And I think that it's very important what art even means to the person performing it too. Because as you were saying that, I was thinking about uh, the San Diego versus anybody poetry slam that Black Expression competed in. I'm not going to go into the- The one we won? <laughs> we won, but whatever. I wasn't going to go into that part of it, but yes, uh, we, we did win. Um, but I'm thinking about, and I don't even think I've even talked to people about this too much, but- um, when we were practicing before the slam, Ronnie and I, we were practicing the Trump poem mm. that we do. If um, And there's a part of the poem where we talk about like some of the victims of police brutality and we call them their names and kind of allude to their stories. And as we were practicing it, one of the uh, other poets uh, who's like a legend in the community, like he's a very dope poet and very powerful poet. But as he was like giving us feedback on, he was like, oh, like, don't say those names unless you really mean it. And for me, I didn't like that because it's like you don't know what saying these names means for me, regardless of how I'm yelling it. Like, I understand that we have this slam culture where you're supposed to emphasize certain words, the performance piece of it. But he was like, yeah, after I performed it, I performed it mad at that feedback. And rather than even thinking about the nays, he's like, yeah, that's how you perform it. But now I've taken myself out of what you were trying to put myself into because now I'm just like animosity towards this feedback. And should I be better at receiving feedback? Sure. But at the same time, it was like, now I'm sensitive about my shit and you're not understanding why. Ask why. It's not what I'm very, I say this all the time. Um, What is knowledge? Why is wisdom? I know what a problem is cool. If I know why the problem is, I never have that problem again. So don't ask, you see what, but you don't understand why. And you saw something, you knew the what, and you responded to the what without inquiring about the why. And we do that too much in so many, in everywhere. It's a break in communication. There's four four words that uh, fix any dynamic relationship ever. Assume nothing, communicate everything. Yeah. That's it. That solves everything. That shit came to me when I was dumb depressed. But like that solves everything. So when you're talking to me, don't do this like this. Well, how do you know I'm not? Ask. Yeah, have the conversation. Yeah. And then one question that I get, not get often, but I think I'm surrounded by often. Uh, Sometimes when I hear people share their story or they talk about something that happened to them in a very poetic way. I'm like, damn, like you should write a poem about that. Or you should write more about that. And like, oh, I'm not a poet or I can't write. What is your response or advice to people who say that they aren't a poet or can't write a poem? Um, someone probably told you you can't. Um, actually, it's funny because that's a line in one of my um, one of my poems about that exact thing. 
and they say you should write a poem about it. But I feel like when people say they're not a poet or something like that, I, I feel like that's not them speaking. Mm. I feel like that's influencers speaking. I feel like that's like what do you well I will ask for well, what do you consider a poet? That would be my first thing. Somebody said I'm not a writer. You talk, right? Yeah. Writing is another but taking the things you say and putting them to paper. Yeah. You are a writer. But why do you why don't you feel like you're a writer? And then when you answer these types of questions with questions, people tend to answer them that are on, on them own. Like they, they get to the nitty-gritty of it and it's like, oh no, well maybe I am. Yeah. So that's my response. Stated so simply with so much emotion on your face and so much enthusiasm. You're giving you're giving absolutely everything with your face on this podcast. Like you're so emotive <laughs> and it's exactly what I expected. Not you're so emotive. Somebody uh, somebody's watching this on YouTube, like, man, it's two most nonchalant face ass motherfuckers. I mean, I guess, man. I'll I'll be chilling. But like I'll be chilling too. I mean, feel it. I don't know. I just feel like what if somebody says I'm not this? My first question is why. Oh no, because I think I think your response is perfect. Like maybe you're if you got legit. I mean, I don't know. I, I can't I can't say until I know your why. But yeah, knowing your why is so so important. Uh, as we close out this episode, Kovu, I want the folks to know a little bit more just about. I don't know. Like, what do you like to do for fun? Like, let's let's create your dating profile. Well, no, we ain't gonna create your dating profile on this. Let me rewind that a little bit. We just gonna put your about me section of MySpace on the podcast. So, what do you like to do for fun, my good sir? Oh, my about me on MySpace was crazy because I was dumb I, when MySpace was out. I was in the streets like shit. Um, so it, it really wasn't much there. But if for the sake of what you're saying, um, uh, about me, what do I like to do? I like learning. Um, I like fighting. Um, I like connecting with people. Um, like reading, photography. If it's creative, I love that shit. <laughs> That's it. If it's creative, I love that shit. Um, if it's business, I like that shit. Um, if it's combining the two, figuring out why something is, how it is, I love that shit. I just want to, I just want to actually live on my terms. Not what somebody told me living was, not what I've been told or made to believe for so long. My dating profile, trying to live or not. I was looking for like likes, long walks on the beach. No, I'm just supposed to switch. I mean, I actually do not fuck with the beach. I mean, I'll go out there sometimes, it's cool. But like um, the concept of going out to a beach, you know why? This is it. My first time at a beach was uh, when I came to San Diego. I ain't no shit about it. Um, I just Google, Google beaches or something. And I saw like, or I was on maps and I'm typing beaches and it said Black's Beach. And I was like, oh shit, we got our own and now we got our own beach. Yeah, you know, I wonder why I was like, oh, lit. 
I went down there. I was like, I got to climb down. I was like, okay, well, it's Black Speech, so. You climb all the way down there just to see old white. Yeah, it's still got to be a struggle to get to it. Like, maybe it's supposed to be like some underground or like some low-key hikey thing. And I went there, and then I was like, oh, shit. Penises. This old dude came up and just started jogging next to me and just <laughs> literally just next to me, bro, for no reason. I'm like, bro, why you being extra? I get it. I, I Oh, this is a newbie. Okay, cool. I got you. Well, like, why? Don't touch my personal space. <laughs> and see, that's, that's the part about you that I really appreciate because those are the types of things that I like to point out in life. It's like, yo, I ain't tripping that, like, it's a new beach. Cool, we all naked here. Why are you this close to me? Right, back the fuck up. Actually, back, get out my face. And then, you know, I used to be, like, not polite, but, like, I'm very direct about the shit. I'm like, I don't, like, I don't make apologies for shit. I'll be nice about it, but it's just, I'm honest. I'm like, yo, you, you dumb close. But, like, even I've had conversations with somebody when they just, like, they don't, they might not understand. I'm like, yo, you look close. Oh no! I just no. I'm not. We're fine. We can talk, but you just take a step back. Yeah, just back up a little bit. You know, back up a little bit. You right here. Like right here. So besides, besides Blacks Beach not being a beach for the Blacks, uh, what else about San Diego has surprised you or taught you? Well, not. I think a lot of things in San Diego have taught you something. Let's go a surprise to you. Like, what about San Diego has surprised you? Whether it's surprise for the good or surprise for the bad. Um, something I noticed, San Diego is the most liberal presenting conservative town I've ever been to in my life. Mm -hmm. Ever. Hands down, I've been all over the world. By far. Um, I don't know if that surprised me, but it definitely was like, oh, shit. Um, Y'all have a lot of hidden gems here. I feel like um, this San Diego, the county of it, like there's towns and stuff within San Diego that have so much potential to be um, spaces for us that I think get overlooked. So that's what surprised me, for example. Lemon Grove. Mm. That town. That could be our town. Like, really easily, actually. I don't want to live over there. I don't want to know. Okay, well, fine. But, like, if you're looking for our space and you haven't found it, it's probably because we need to build it. Mm. Do you want to be a part of it? do you want to build it because if you just want to be a part of something and you don't want to build it you probably shouldn't be there yeah words from the wise wise-ish kind of wise yeah got, gotta keep your head small sometimes i can't compliment you too much within a two-hour time block it's crazy it's crazy it's a limit on making me feel good anywho <laughs> Anywho, uh, the last question that I have before I hand the mic over to you to kind of ISO and talk about whatever's on your mind, what yeah. what have you gained or what have you learned from this podcast episode or what's your takeaway? Um, that you get it. 
Like you get what what's happening. You've been around for a very long time. Uh, Almost twenty seven years. Yeah, but I mean as far as like BX and stuff go, you goofball. Um you get it. And being in this podcast, the questions you've asked and alluded to, even the things you try to like nudge toward to have the conversation go in that direction, you get it. I also think you understand why it's important to have podcasts like this. Yeah. I mean, selfishly, I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I think that's literally why I wanted to do the Banquet Hall podcast, just because I've said this numerous episodes, but hey, as we continue to grow the podcast, I need to make sure that people understand kind of the thought process behind it. But when I go online and I see some conservative news anchor giving a soliloquy about something that's anti-black and oppressive to communities I care about. You can find all types of interviews all over YouTube, clickbait headlines, yada, 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 where it's like, oh, let's hear more about this person spewing all this mm -hmm. hatred. Whereas we have artists within a one mile radius from where we are sitting that are doing amazing things will be legendary and they don't necessarily get the shine or they don't have a lot of spotlight you can't just go on youtube and search for an hour-long conversation where they're just giving you their thought process and so i wanted to be able to share this because and a lot of it really stems from people i've met through the poetry community i know a lot of the people i've interviewed so far have been ucsd community but the poetry community is a big part of that because it's just what it really starts to cyclically come back to i'll go on instagram and see somebody i met at black expression lyrical exchange Yada yada yada, doing something magnificent, and I'm not surprised. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, I if you would ask me five years ago, was I going to see Sante Prince? Like, I was about to say Sante. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag hot chocolate. Like, am, am I surprised? No, he's been talking about <laughs> he's been talking about this mission with the motherland and like just connecting like our people with like water polo and whatnot. He's been talking about this since since I've seen him come to open right. mics. For the last since five he had a pro, years. since he had a pro with no beard, <laughs> exactly. Like I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm not surprised when people talk about Black San Diego on Facebook. Yeah. I just I just be like, oh, y'all don't even know, right? No idea, no idea. <laughs> and no so, idea. I definitely like I know that this podcast episode was something that has been a long time coming, and you have never failed to remind me, like, oh, you ain't had me on a podcast yet. You ain't had me Crazy. on a podcast yet. I was Crazy. building towards it. I have a I have a plan. And so I had to get you on the podcast one, so you just shut up. But two, no, I'm not going. I'm still going to say, dang, it's crazy. You got a podcast and I ain't been on it. Even when this post. <laughs> Even when it posts, you're still going to talk about not being on oh, it. 1,000, 1,000%. 1,000%. But you saw last time you said that, I was like, yeah, I'm prioritizing black women guests right now. You was like, oh, you say nothing about that. I mean, what I'm going to do? Fine. Fair. It's March. You think. You know, it wasn't bro. just a March thing. It was just in general. Like, I know, I, I know it wasn't just a March thing. Look at you trying to do damage control. I am fucking with you, sir. I'm a I am a producer. Oh, you gotta know. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, in that case, he hates all black women. Like That's this one time, he was like, "Bro, if like we could just produce asexually as black men, then all the podcasts that say what real men in the world were." even though it's just a bunch of dudes in the room, would be, like, the best thing ever. That's words that came out of his mouth. Yep. I heard him say it. 
hot and fresh. Listeners, if you're wondering where the gap is between the last thing that was stated and this sentence, we had to edit something. No, I'm scared. <laughs> oh, that would be hilarious, though. But uh, one, just want to thank you for saying yes to being on the podcast, even if you had to pester me to be on the podcast. You eventually came yeah. on a podcast. And you're not going to agree that you were on this podcast and still going to talk shit. But I'm going to thank you anyway as my esteemed guest to the banquet hall. And then I just want to give you an opportunity if there's anything on your mind that you want to talk about if somebody pissed you off today or just anything you want to want to share on the mic the floor is yours this is your spotlight anything you want to shamelessly plug um yeah what's on your mind uh what's been on my mind a lot recently is um what's coming to our communities as far as like um finance and stuff like that um i cannot put i cannot say enough how important it is to go and read those books um if you don't want to read the big one there's a smaller one they made it for kids there's no shame in it the smaller one the picture from jekyll island this this one is the child version so you can get people uh read up on it it's just important to understand um how we got to where we are and why we are in the current state that we are um, in terms of our dollar not being backed by code since the 70s it being as useful as monopoly monopoly money quite literally um i'll say this i could go on for forever but i won't i will say dollars won't save you community will Invest in yourself and your skills and barter those. A word. Thank you for thank you for that word of wisdom. And also thank you for <laughs> highlighting that even though the a book is quote unquote made for kids, like I don't think that should I don't think that should be seen as a bad thing ever. Like if something's quote unquote made for kids, like why are we using this very abstract language to talk about something that's so important to the fabrics of our society like maybe we need more books that are quote-unquote made for kids just to simplify the language that we are using and uh, that's yeah it's that's what art is like we're it's different forms of expressing we're translating complex ideas for people because even i was listening to um i can by nas earlier today and just thinking about thinking about what that song meant for me when i was little growing up like really just the chorus part. Like I know I can be what I want to be. If I work harder, I'll be where I want to be. But when I'm now that I'm older and listening to like the verses that Nas is spitting and just talking about like just the knowledge and the history that we do and do not have access to, like tr- music, poems, all of that can always translate super complex ideas in a way for people to understand. And yeah, whether a book is made for kids or made for people with PhDs, there's knowledge in it. And it's up to us to be able to share that knowledge with each other. I agree with that. Um, it's closing the gaps. I think that's very intentional. Um, I think those gaps that need to be closed are placed there very intentional. I mean, you look at in terms of even just like Black history, what you learn in college, you never touch in high school. But only not everybody has access to college. And so I think it's very important to take the language and translate it. However, it needs to be so it can be disseminated as widely as possible. I agree.
Provu, if I listen to this podcast episode, hear you talking for over an hour now, and I'm like, man, I'm really interested in digging deeper with Kovu and understanding what he means by community will save you, the dollar can't. How can I find you? How can I reach out to you? How can I connect with you? Oh, you get up to the express page. Um, also to plug my personal self. That's up to you. I mean, I don't care. I mean, just you're going to get what you get. Uh, you can get me on IG. Well, actually, you know what's funny? IG, shadow block me. Like, I can't open it. Look, they didn't ban me. Like, after I started posting uh, some statistics about what's happening right now with the dollar in Brazil and China and um, how the central bank digital currency Fed now is coming into play, and I started posting about the rollout of it, I can't open Instagram. What about this? I'm there, and then, boom, every single time. Wow. It's like, And this is for any anything that I'm on. It's, I won't, I've updated it. Uh, on my iPad, I won't do it. If I get on another one, I'll log in. I can't record videos anymore. I don't know what's up with that. Maybe it's just a little weird, but hey. So, I mean, other than that, I guess you can hit me on Instagram at Khalifa Co- underscore Kovu, but we'll see. K-H-A-L-I-F underscore K-O-V-U. Oh, wait, you know what? I got a Finsta. The kids tell me about that. You got a so, Finsta? Look at you. Yeah. It's I think it's fan base, but like that's weird. I don't got no fans. But like you can connect with me on there. They didn't block me. So it's the same thing on fan base. Um it's basically Instagram without the bullshit. But Khalifa underscore Kovum. Um if anybody is interested in learning more about fan base, uh one of the podcasts I listen to faithfully, Higher Learning with Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay. Uh, the person who founded Fanbase did an interview on there and taught me just a lot about kind of the idea of Fanbase and the differences between it and Instagram and how we need to start investing in ourselves as the people creating this content and how just as we move forward in society with social media, a lot of things are going to be subscription based. So why not subscribe to the people that you care about seeing the most? Um I have a feeling, Kovu, you're going to be on this podcast again in the future because there's a lot that we can spend an hour or two talking about but want to thank you for plugging yourself thank you for your time uh the ucsd mafia will see you out of the waiting room <laughs> uh, <laughs> i'm just kidding listeners uh i was it you that coined the ucsd mafia yes. was it right and i was you? No smoke from y'all i'm good once I started going to open mics in san diego and started trying to bring more black students from la jolla down to the open mics uh, people found out some from UCSD that was part of the mafia, the dawn of the UCSD mafia being myself and UCSD rolled deep. So we're going to go ahead and escort Kovu up out the banquet hall. Oh, good. Hey, man, I got to find my way out. Um, I know how to fight. I'm good. I appreciate y'all. Y'all stay uh, safe out there. I'm going to stay safe and out y'all way. And you know what I'm saying? If you feel it, express it. Oh, we're not ending this podcast. If you feel it, express it. Uh, well, I, I don't is- know why I said that. Well, like, this in my how do you do you have a slogan for this i want to say it. we uh, don't have a slogan yet but we should definitely have a slogan maybe need to come up with a slogan next we, it's piecemeal we didn't have intro music until last episode which ain't even posted yet um i'll get i'll get the i need a slogan and i need a name for the listeners of the banquet hall those are the next goals the banquet hall come hungry leave well fed Come hungry, leave well fed. See, this is why I pay the big bucks. <laughs> I don't know. That ain't, uh... I don't know.
I mean, I feel like you can play around with that and make that something because, you know, like learning, you know what I'm saying? You have a hunger for learning or something like that. Um, yeah. I like it. Followers, listeners, make sure you tune in at Banco Hall Pod. Thank y'all for tuning into this episode, and we'll catch y'all on the side that flips. Hope you have a good rest of your day, Kovu. I think you should be hearing a knock at the door of the police. You see Mafia very shortly. Um.